0: Welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast. I'm your host Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Mason Kern, Jack Harris, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today?
1: Good. It's been a while since we were all together to do a podcast. So yeah, little little source reunion.
2: This is my favorite time of the week, Rob. Doing podcasts? With you especially. Uh, I love thank a you.
3: good Rob hosted podcast. Really excited.
0: Okay, well, uh, let's get right into it, and let's start with the NFL draft that just happened this past weekend as we're recording this episode on Tuesday, April 30th. Nikhil Harry, the first uh, selection from Arizona State, uh, a first-round pick, the last pick in the first round uh, by the New England Patriots, and the first first first-rounder for ASU since Demarius Randall was drafted uh, by the Green Bay Packers in 2015. Rennell Wren selected in the fourth round of the draft. Uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's first spend some time with Nikhil Harry, though. Uh, the first wide receiver that Bill Belichick and the Patriots have taken together in the first round uh, since Bill Belichick has been, obviously, in New England.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, this is probably right around where we expected him to go. Um, leading into the draft, Nikhil said he didn't think he'd get past the Cardinals at 33, so one pick ahead of that. And I think, like, if you're looking at potential landing spots, it's it's hard to imagine one that's much better than going to New England to have such a structured system to be able to develop in. Uh, Chris, you made the point uh, on Twitter that Nikhil probably going to know pretty quick if he's going to be able to become a, a, an NFL impact player, a starting receiver in the league. And I think that's an important thing you know, for a guy, especially a guy like, like Nikhil who has a lot of tools that we've talked about but also has some questions about his ability to separate and maybe – if his route running is, is quite up to to NFL number one receiver standards, you know he's going to learn that pretty quick, and he's going to be in a system that's going to really force him to do that that kind of stuff, and isn't going to cheat him on his <clears throat> on his development any. So, if you're if you were looking for a good pick, I I don't think you could have done much better than than him going to the Patriots. It's in the first round. Um, it's good for ASU. It's really good for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, for him, I mean, the development arc. He's going to have just from the strides he made in college, and now the strides he'll potentially make in the NFL are probably the highest now playing uh, with Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback of all time, and then under under Bill Belichick in their system. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the landing spot for him was – was uh, you couldn't have dreamed better for him. And then it was just kind of interesting to see Byron Murphy, another hometown kid, go right after yeah. hometown friends at, at 33 in the first, first pick of the second round of the Cardinals. Yeah.
2: If you look at our lads, uh, they are already plugged in to kill Harry as a starter as a wide receiver, and we know from watching the team last year that they were doing it with smoke and mirrors with their receivers. Yeah. They that's like one of the one of the most impressively constructed offenses, of course. And when you have Tom Brady who's spearheading the whole thing, it makes it that much better. But their creativity is really something else, and and they. They signed uh, several free agents in the offseason knowing how uh, shaky that their team was last year at wide receiver. Josh Gordon, who, of course, has been enigmatic and had a lot of problems. Uh, there's uh, Demarius Thomas, who's coming into the program there. And uh, there's you know, some other guys that they have existing who I think have a pretty good chance uh, as well. But the, the key thing is, uh, to the, your point that you made, Rob, uh, Belichick knows that they needed wide receivers. And this was a draft in which there was a a lot of debate about the ranking order of how people saw these recruits. Mm -hmm. A lot of people thought, you know, you had – dj met dk metcalf just his explosiveness and is he going to be like somebody that um a team takes early because of his his upside but then there's limitations with his flexibility and his route running and some of these other issues i personally thought aj brown was was really good and yet he went a lot later than some of these other guys uh and i didn't like um the what's his name um the kid from debo samuel i didn't really like him quite as much as and he was as, selected before and he, AJ he Brown. went higher so this is a you know it's a it's a eye of the beholder thing i'm interested to see how it works out Nikhil harry uh coming out of high school i didn't think was a five-star prospect i thought that his the the, the, the questions that people had about him that persist now about his ability to separate and route running and some of those things i thought they would um hurt him more as a prospect than they ultimately did. I thought that he would be uh, leaving Chandler High School where he wasn't as productive even as a couple of the other guys on the roster. I thought that he was going to be probably a second or third round type of guy long term. I thought he was a four-star prospect, you know, a top 100 kid, but not not somebody that that deserved to be a, a borderline five-star. And, uh, you know, he's demonstrated that he, he certainly – uh, did deserve that, and the last thing I'll say on this is, if if the possibility of Tom Brady yelling at you because you messed up doesn't keep you on edge yeah. from a motivational factor, uh, and and knowing what you're going into for the the you know reigning Super Bowl champions with Tom Brady trying to get another ring somehow before his career ends, uh, I just think that it's a it's a phenomenal opportunity. It's something that he should be kept on edge about, and also he has a chance to start, you know, certainly the Cardinals by all by reports would have actually taken him with the 33rd pick overall. Uh, But if he's not going to end up staying at home, going to New England's probably as good as you can get.
0: I think this is probably one of the best case scenarios for a guy that like Chris said, I mean, you didn't know where the receivers were going to get selected based off of the fact that there was just so much um, belief that certain guys were better than others. And it was so up in the air about the top, maybe six, five to six guys, where they were going to go, and a lot of people thought A.J. Brown was going to go first. He ended up going after guys like it Debo a, Samuel. Like
1: pro football focus had had Harry as their fifth or sixth best yeah. receiver prospect going into the draft. It, it, so in,
0: in most the, mock drafts and most expert predictions, he wasn't going yeah. in the first. Yeah,
1: so the, yeah, the fact that he was the second receiver off the board, I know some ASU fans might not think it's a surprise, but – I, NFL I agree people, with that was not a consensus. I want to
0: make one quick note though about our lads and and marking him as a starter, which they have done. They also have Demarius Thomas behind him. I would be pretty shocked if if come the week one opener, Demarius Thomas is not they the could starter pass, and Nikhil Harry is is in front of him. Just based off of name and how much they're paying Demarius Thomas, I would expect that Demarius Thomas is going to have a very good chance. Uh, I, I would think Nikhil Harry would probably be number three there uh, to start, but you know. If he really outdoes somebody like Demarius Thomas in training camp, that'd be very, very impressive.
2: Yeah, the the official website for the Patriots doesn't have it updated with rookies added yet. So, you know, and they're gonna they have to go through the rookie camp and mini camp right. and all that stuff anyways. But they have Julian Edelman comes back, Bruce Ellington, these are their slot, you know, type guys, but they have Nikhil Harry as a third stringer. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess they do have some of the rookies built in, and then you have Philip Dorsett and Demarius Thomas. Philip Dorsett, a lot of people think is is going to end up being a starter there. Too bad we don't have Kevin Stewart here for the podcast because he's a huge Patriots fan. He would know how to handicap that whole race. <laughs> but the, the 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 point is, and we don't. I don't cover the Patriots, so I don't know right. the dynamics of that. But right. the, the point is, is that he has a good chance. Yes, he does. At, at, if not starting immediately, being in the rotation, and there's no way that they would have drafted him there, if not. And the last thing I want to say about this is, they they the Patriots part of the allure I'm sure was Billy Graham, Billy Graham, Billy Napier and Todd Graham uh, uh, combining them. Um, it was, Billy it was, Graham, yeah, he was a, you know the the famous pastor. <laughs> Billy, Billy Napier and Todd Graham went to New England. Uh, before Todd Graham's last season at ASU and Bill Belichick knows Todd Graham reasonably well and actually Billy Napier told me he's going back this summer again and ASU looked at um, two seasons ago uh, they installed some red zone uh, looks that they took actually from the Patriots and they called a uh, one of them a Patriot play so people will remember I'm going to be writing about this but they had a fourth-and-one situation inside the five-yard line, and they ran this you know, screen for Nikhil Harry where he came from the outside working in, and the other two receivers blocked. He didn't get it, score a touchdown, but he got a first down. Then ASU scored subsequently. It was the only touchdown of the game in that big win that ASU had over Washington. So uh, I think that maybe part of that rubbed off in some way. Uh, to, to uh, the New England front office or Bill Belichick.
1: And one more thing. I want to double back to the point Chris made about you have Tom Brady and you have Bill Belichick you know, getting on you and being put in that culture every day. Yeah. I don't know if a couple of years ago if Nikhil Harry would have mentally been able to handle that. I think one of the things that, that, that works for this is, as we've reported and talked about on this podcast, his, his mental growth over the last year and his ability to respond to – you know, a guy like Manny Wilkins, who's a pretty vocal, hard-nosed leader. I think some of those things also set him up well to go into an environment that not every player does well in, that not every player reacts well to. Um, and and for him, I think to, to be able to have a, a shot at succeeding and, and being able to turn that kind of culture into something that's beneficial for him.
2: There's still some questions about that. I know he has grown up and matured, but uh, even a lot of veterans have struggled in New England with handling – how much of a grind that the work atmosphere appears to be. And people say it's have said, it. you know, it's not that fun or they don't enjoy it. Uh, I think Nikhil Harry still has a lot of room to develop in terms of his understanding of the game, his ability to, to line up in different uh, places on the field, his precision as a route runner, uh, his understanding of, of uh, post nap adjustment and something that, that, that Tom Brady is going to have to really work with him uh, at fine tuning, and just his, I think he's receptive in, in some ways, but I don't know if he's I don't know if he's been receptive in a way in which he's then been able to go and execute exactly what's been told yeah. to him in a, a, with a lot of precision, and that's what he's going to need to be able to do to be successful in New England. And we'll move on from talking about Nikhil to talking about Rennell. But
0: I, I agree with what you guys are saying about the mental challenge that just comes with going to an organization like New England. I think it'll be really interesting to see how he. He does with the coaching and mentoring of, of guys like Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick, and uh, still McDaniel's there. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see if he can become a very good receiver in the NFL with the help of, of who he's got. Um, but Rennell Wren, uh, one of the people that got selected in the fourth round, a, a defensive lineman that uh, was at the Senior Bowl. He was on the or he was the all he was on the All Combine team at the NFL Combine because he posted such good numbers at the Combine. A guy that can break up a lot of plays. I know watching on ESPN when he got selected, uh, the guys were raving about the skills that he possesses and the, the fact that he has a trance if he can be more consistent to be a very good NFL starter. What was your reaction, Chris, to him going in the fourth round with the 23rd pick?
2: Well, he, there's just not that many guys that have his combination of length, strength, and explosiveness uh, who are defensive tackles. Uh, you know, there's certain things that aren't, aren't as good about him and maybe his flexibility, his reactiveness to plays, uh, his, his everyday sort of grind, work ethic, and his ability to incorporate what's being asked of him. Uh, I think that he was a slow-developing player for several reasons, and some of that's not really his fault, having a different defensive line coach every year of his career. I think he had really uh, – uh, average coaching before he got to ASU, his pad level was a mess. They needed to rebuild his footwork. Uh, he he really went through a process that was a multi-year type of thing that maybe could have been expedited more on his end. And then also on the coaching end and some of the schematics, but there's no doubt that he can dominate an a gap about as well as anybody in, in in this draft when you just put him over the, the center and, uh, you know so i think that's something that you can then build off of right um, 325 pounds, long arms, six five. Gets off the ball in a hurry. He went to a, a a you know four point stance in order to enhance his ability to be able to do that. So there's there's definitely things about him that are really intriguing. So much so that some people thought that he had second or third round talent. And remember, there was like six first round picks who are defensive linemen. Yeah. So it's a very deep, good you know draft. very rich class for. Yeah, but so. Um, I think that he probably ultimately got picked about where he should. I think he should be a nose, but people talk about his scheme versatility—that he can maybe play some three tech, that he can play, you know, on the edge in 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 a, in a not on the edge, but outside in a three-four. You know, handling a lot of a lot of you know four eye, five technique type of stuff. Maybe even kicked out a little bit more than that. Uh, I'm interested in seeing just kind of how this next step of his career evolves when he doesn't have school and some of these other distractions, and he can just be really focused on football.
1: Yeah, that's the part that I'm interested in seeing too, because we've talked so much about how it seems like you know he's still got so much room to go before he hits his ceiling. How how he'll dominate on some plays, but then can go missing in games. How close is he to really maximizing his skill set? I think that's something that will be interesting to watch over the next couple years of his career. Does he make significant jumps? Or is he a guy who gets lost a little bit on the depth chart? I think Cincinnati is an interesting place to go when you look at especially their defensive front with guys like Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap who are pretty good ends. To be a guy who can eat up space in the middle and and be able to do things that probably fit his skill set the best right now I think is a good opportunity for him. Um, but yeah, I think, like, he, there, there's no doubt that outside of Akiel Harry, he was pretty far and away the, the best NFL prospect that ASU's had the last couple years. Um, but for him to be able to to become an impact NFL player, which he has the tools to be, I think that the first two, three years of his career are going to be interesting to follow to see, you know, if he can get there. He, so he made some strides this season, uh, but... He's still got a long way to go to be able to kind of get to like that starter, two-deep level in the NFL. So, um, yeah, interesting guy, though, and uh, prospect to watch.
3: And the consistency aspect of it, I mean, he made strides from, the, obviously, the beginning of his college career when he wasn't really a factor at ASU toward his senior year when, I mean, the, there were still times where he would go missing, but toward the latter half of ASU season last year, teams started scheming specifically to take him out of games because he was dominant against Michigan State. He had some dominant games early in the season. And San then, Diego State. Yeah, yeah, started started getting schemed away from by other teams, and that really negatively affected him in terms of the consistency. So if he mm-hmm. can just stay focused and consistent throughout the entirety of, of games, then I think his, his NFL career and arc should should rise.
1: Hey Chris, are there guys that – like from, from ASU, maybe it's a Will Sutton or another type who have gone into the NFL – sort of like Rennell Wren has, especially at that position where you can see, all right, this guy can be an impact NFL player who was drafted, you know, third, fourth-round pick. And, like, how do the – what are the things to watch for as as they kind of go through the first couple seasons and either become, you know, a dominant player or not?
2: Well, there's not really as a defensive tackle that jump out to me that had his type of talent that got drafted but were still kind of underachieving their potential. Uh, ASU fans will remember Mike Pinnell – was a defensive tackle who was at Scottsdale Community, came to ASU, had a really difficult time buying into what the coaches were asking of him, uh, wasn't really being responsible to his assignments, and he was like a 350-pounder. He ended up transferring down to a lower level and then still got drafted and is in the league now, as a 350-pound nose. Uh, really talented. The, the key thing to me with Rennell is uh, – you have to be able to show coaches that you can listen and incorporate what's being asked of you so that you're not making repetitive mistakes. It's, it's the repetitive mistakes that lead coaches to, to lose confidence in a player. It's not that he has to do a whole bunch of things well early. Do a couple of things well early then be able to slowly expand your role, but make sure that your assignments sound to what you need to be doing on any given play, and then develop the techniques and some of the advanced understanding and and skills that allow you to flourish. I I just, sometimes at ASU, his practice habits were lacking, I can remember him going through drills and even though he would be like the fourth or fifth person in a drill, he'd mess the drill up. And this is not when he was a freshman or sophomore, but like a junior or senior. And it was a focus issue. I think he just needs to keep his focus really uh, there and not make repetitive mistakes.
0: And so we're going to move on now to ASU basketball, Anthony Coleman, uh, leaving ASU to take a job at Colorado first reported by Sun Devil Source. Chris,
2: what more can you tell us about that? Right. So, um, Essentially, what happened that we can we can say is he was interested in taking another job, initially looked at UNLV. The UNLV opportunity didn't materialize, but by that point, he had uh, resigned at ASU, and he wasn't able to come back to ASU. And so that led to uh, him looking at other opportunities, which then led to Colorado um, and then uh, we reported that uh, at the same time that he was that he had resigned from ASU, that he was going to be taking the Colorado job. He hadn't been at ASU's football, pardon me, basketball banquet uh, a week or so prior to our reporting. So he had was already on the move. Um, we weren't able to report it until we did. He got the Colorado job, so it looked like he left ASU for Colorado. That's really not precisely how that happened. Um, he was going to be not returning to ASU regardless, but he happened to land in in the Pac-12. Um, the thing that the people have asked about is is. How does that affect ASU's relationships on the recruiting standpoint? Adi- Anthony Coleman worked for Adidas before he took a job at ASU, mm-hmm. and so he's very connected to Adidas grassroots, including the most important figure in Adidas grassroots in uh, uh, the West Coast, Atop Udoima, who runs Compton Magic, and they have a close relationship. That remains to be seen. I think that's going to depend on how Bobby Hurley and and Rashawn Burno, the associate head coach, how they uh, how they handle that those relationships moving forward, but that's more of a hit potentially in terms of recruiting mm-hmm. and, and how things move, than than on the floor. Even though he did work with ASU's base, right. and, and another assistant coach uh, Drowsen
0: Slorich is no longer at Arizona State, leaving the program and Bobby Hurley needing to fill two assistant spots, um, and, and we've reported that he might he may be using uh, Uros Plavsic uh, as a guy that could potentially leverage him to get a job at a different place. Uh, ben Wood, a candidate uh, who is with uh, both Bobby Hurley and Rashawn Burno at Buffalo, potentially could get elevated to one of those assistant spots. Uh,
2: what are you hearing about this situation right now, Chris? So, Drazins Lorch was only at ASU for one year, really less than a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, His hire was announced last September. Uh, so very shortly before the season, but that had been in the works for a few months prior to that. Uh, they There were some visa issues is what I heard that were associated with that because he's Serbian. Uh, I'm not sure that it, the specific nature of those things, but uh, just the fact that he was a work visa, you know, issues. Um, Juros Plavzic had was a you know big who's also Serbian, who's uh, played in the States at a like a prep school type of a thing. Before he signed with ASU, he had been committed to Cleveland State, where Drazen Slavric was uh, coaching. Prior to them both ending up at ASU, so now with with your uh, uh, Uros Plavcic tweeted on March 23rd, I believe it was, that he was excited about uh, coming off his redshirt year at ASU. Had a big graphic and yeah. everything. And that it was the same day, that actually, that ASU wished Zlvaric, uh happy birthday on Twitter. And within days of that, he was he was gone. And it was this was ASU's initiated this. ASU d- decided it wanted to move in a different direction with that that position. Uh, just feeling like, th- um, according to my sources, that th- it just wasn't a good fit for for, for the program. Uh, and, and so the ASU, as you said, Rob, they have two spots open. Ben Wood is a special assistant to Bobby Hurley, who had at Buffalo been on the three-member assistant staff. Mm-hmm. So there is a possibility of elevating him. Uh, there have been some candidates that I've heard about, but I, we don't have anything to report on in terms of uh, them being uh, seriously deep in conversation with anybody about replacing either one of these coaches. They are just coming off of the the only spring live period, which is a three-day thing where they could go out and watch recruits. And uh, they were shorthanded on the road as a result of this. So I think it will get Resolved in the next probably two weeks, but there also isn't necessarily a super sense of urgency right now given where they're at. They're much more of a focus on them trying to solidify their roster, and that's a big issue with if if Plovzic does go ahead and transfer somewhere. Uh, the only big that he will have returning, who's a post-true post player on the roster, is, of course, Romello White with Daquan Lake also leaving Zylan-Chinham as a hybrid type of a guy. And then you have um, uh, as an incoming recruit, Jalen Graham, who's a freshman at Mountain Point. But I don't think that Graham's going to be ready to play a, a huge role early. And he's also about 6'8, maybe 6'9. So there's size, experience, uh, and depth issues now as real concerns in ASU's front court. And ASU did not get
0: Derek Smits, a 7-1 center who transferred from Valparaiso. He chose Butler over ASU, among some other schools. Son of Rick Smits, who played for the Indiana Pacers in the NBA. And, and with not getting Smits, and also most likely losing a Rose Daquan Lake, graduating and leaving the program, ASU only has one returning big man in Romello White. When Chris spoke a little bit about Jalen Christopher, or Jalen Graham, excuse me, and how he might not be ready uh, right away to step in and play big minutes. How important is it that ASU potentially fills the spot with a, with another big man in the coming weeks and months?
1: It's, it's pretty important if they could get some more help down there because like, what is what's so striking about this is the last two years for ASU, probably the biggest thing that has enabled the Sun Devils to be successful is the fact that they've had talent and depth on the inside. Two years ago, Bobby Hurley talked a lot about it, how you know, they finally have guys who can rebound the basketball and can protect the rim a little bit when he first got Ramello White eligible and Daquan Lake came into the program last year. Obviously, they really relied on what they did inside and their ability to rebound the basketball and, and, and score around the hoop and make it tough for, for opponents to get to the rim. So the fact that they're seemingly regressing in that standpoint, and you're going back to, you know, if you enter the season with only Ramello White as a true post player, that handicaps some of what you can do because Romello White's good, um, but asking him to play more than 30 or 35 minutes is a—that's a big—that's a, big, a tall task. He's only six eight. He's not a dominant rebounder of the right. basketball. Um, he's pretty good on the offensive side, but I think defensively, some people still have questions sometimes about how he matches up, especially against guys who are, you know, significantly taller than him. So, it, it, and to me, it's just the one area that had so obviously changed in a positive way for ASU for the fact that if you go into the season with only Romello White, that just seems like a really big step back for a program that is trying to move forward. And this kind of ties into the larger uh, discussion we've had talking about, okay, can ASU really kick on from these last two years and become a a consistent NCAA tournament team, a team that's actually competing for Pac-12 titles or not? And when you have developments like this, it just makes it seem like, and it's a reminder that it's kind of hard to, when you have a couple of good years, to really build off it and, and sustain some of that momentum and, and success because you have roster turnovers and things like this, and the margin for error, again, it's so thin because in the last couple of years, it seems like ASU has been able to get that Rick Smith's guy or been able to get the help right when they need it. To not have it this year, that's probably going to be the biggest question mark as, as they go into the next season.
3: Yeah, I mean, ASU's style of play has changed in the last two years they were guard you, three guard play and then this past season it was it was the big man. I mean when they were get, the most successful they were getting it into Zion Cheatham's hands, Daquan Lakes hands, their most efficient players. So it's gonna be important for them to fill I mean this this need because when you only have one post player returning in Romello White, you need depth to back him up. Daquan Lake was a good good option. Zadon cheatham obviously coming in first team all pack 12 this season, so that's a very significant loss. And then when you don't fill these holes elsewhere, it, it it's, problems are going to arise just from them not filling these needs.
2: You just need to give yourself more options if you're ASU. If you get into foul trouble, you go up against bigger teams, you need to be able to have matchup uh, variants, and, and they're not going to have that unless they're able to add an impact or somewhat capable player uh, unless somehow Jalen Graham's ready to play more than I anticipate early mm-hmm. on and this late in the process I think that's going to be hard to do so that's one of that's the biggest concern that they have on the roster
0: transitioning from the hardwood now to the field and Taryn Adams leaving Arizona State football what does that sort of mean Chris for the cornerback situation obviously with with guys that are returning in, in Chase Lucas and, and Kobe Williams two guys that have been leaned on a lot in the past couple of years. Taren Adams, though, was a pretty big part of ASU football last year. It was the third corner and, and played a lot of times when Chase Lucas wasn't doing well or there were questions about him to Danny Gonzalez.
2: Yeah, that was Taren Adams' first year in the program and coming out of uh, City College of San Francisco. Uh, even though he was a sophomore going into this year, I think he hoped to be able to challenge for a starting job that didn't look like that was going to materialize. And then on top of that, ASU had added to Marcus Davis, uh, who was a sit-out transfer from Baylor, who earned scout team player of the year last year. And uh, no surprise, I think, to most fans that Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams are solidified as starters going into the season, and both of them are capable of being all-conference players. I think Chase Lucas is probably one of their better uh, NFL prospects as a junior on the roster. Uh, And then Tamarcus Davis being someone that they appeared to be uh, grooming to potentially be their number three cornerback this year, even though he was still in a competition with Taron Adams and others. Uh, I think that he saw the writing on the wall as something that he, you know, wasn't going to be super happy with. He might be able to even graduate by the end of this year. I'm I'm hearing and uh, could potentially over the summer and could potentially transfer uh, with two years of remaining eligibility if he's able to do that. If not, he'll have to sit out a year. Uh, which would be a hit for him but probably go somewhere uh, that, that that won't have corners returning the following year uh, who were as likely to be starters uh, ASU also has a couple other guys you have Dominique Harrison who played safety uh, last year primarily but it's going to play corner more according to Tony White ASU's cornerbacks coach this year so he's going to be in competition and then uh, there's a couple of freshmen that are coming in, Keon Markham and Jordan Clark. I think Keon Markham has more of an athletic profile to where he's going to have a chance to maybe play early as a freshman, potentially as their fourth corner. And remember, they could play guys uh, in, in a few games and still redshirt them mm-hmm. based on the rule change for last season. So that that's also a possibility. But they would like to be able to play four corners, play left and right. So maybe Dom Harrison or maybe Keon Markham plays his way out of a, a redshirt.
0: Heading to ASU baseball, which dropped in the rankings again this week in the Division One rankings to number 22 in the nation, following a poor weekend traveling on the road to rainy Seattle, Washington. Jack, you were there. ASU dropped the first two games of the series, ended up winning on Sunday. What did you make of? It seemed like a shaky weekend from ASU's I, team.
1: It's been a shaky April for the Sun Devils. Uh, you know they entered the month 24 and one, coming off a sweep of Arizona looked like they were pretty close to to probably locking up an ncaa tournament bid but they go seven and ten this past month and i think the washington series is a good it was it, it encapsulated a lot of what uh, bothered asu in, in april which was some some much more inconsistent pitching alec marsh was only able to go two innings on friday night gave up nine runs his draft stock is falling pretty quickly after it looked like he was probably going to be a top five round pick if not better uh, Boyd Vanderkoy was just okay on Saturday. Went six innings, but uh, or six worked into the seventh inning. Part of me, but then uh, gave up some runs there, and ASU ended up losing that one in extras, ten to nine. And then they come back on Sunday, they get a win. Which, you know, this month they've the one thing they they did in April that was good is they didn't go on any like long four or five or six game losing streaks right. that really damaged their season. They're able to pick up some wins. To, to they only had one, they only lost more than. They only had one three-game losing streak is the, what I'm trying to get around to. So I think, look, when you look at ASU this past month, and my takeaway from the series and moving forward is, they squandered a chance to really put themselves in, in prime position to make a postseason run, I think. Now, they can get it back because they still play Stanford. They still play UCLA. They have some chances to maybe play themselves back up onto the one line and the NCAA tournament. But I think more likely is, if they struggle through May, they're going to be closer to the bubble than they are going to be to, to hosting a regional. And I think that – I think what, what this season is building towards, in my opinion, is what, what is going to be considered a successful season because earlier in the year it seemed pretty clear, oh, okay, ASU's having a bounce-back year. They're winning a bunch of games after back-to-back losing seasons. They might even be able to host a regional. Um, but now when you go through a month where you're, you're not very good and you're inconsistent – Tracy Smith said that, that they were in a funk – you have a really tough schedule coming up in May it looks like you might not get into the tournament as comfortably as you thought you were you might have to go on the on the road in a regional they're probably not going to win on the road in a regional with you know a pitching staff that is like we've talked about all year is a little short-handed and is growingly inconsistent so is, is getting into the postseason, getting knocked out on a regional, Like, will that be considered su- successful? That's the thing No. kind of – Yeah, and exactly. And I think this is – Yes. No. Well, no. Yes,
0: clearly based off
1: the expectations
0: coming into this but year and what people thought was going to happen. That's true. Year. But I, I get what Chris is saying, and Chris is no. going to say the history of ASU baseball. They didn't make the uh, they playoffs were the last very two years. Bad. Yeah, they were expected to be very bad this year. They were not expected to make the postseason. Not Tracy They're going to, to Tracy make the Smith. postseason
2: – well, yeah, but Trey Smith always says that they're going to well, be. Well, who's quit. setting the expectations then?
0: I think the expectations are set by the reporters and the people covering the team. They were picked. I I, I think it was bottom half of the Pac-12 media poll. Six in the it, Pac-12 it, media poll.
2: I, I don't. The think, narrative was we're building for this season, and yeah, all of our all of our lineup is back. Short,
0: they have a very shorthanded roster, shorthanded pitching staff. We, we know. But so I think with that, I think ASU's expectations, at least in my mind, and I know in Jack's minds as well, were, were significant. So that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're
2: talking about... Well, that's not what I'm talking about anyways. What I'm, what I'm asking is whether fans should accept this as an acceptable performance that should allow Tracy Smith
1: to keep his job if they... Don't host a regional, and I think this is the divide you're going to get to. Well, that's a completely yes. different
0: thing, in my opinion. of well, was the season? Is this a good season, and, and should Trey well, Smith so, keep his job based he, off of
2: sure Re- what's going on?
1: How they how
0: questions. they
2: perform relative to their talent? I mean, if we're going is, off that, I would say that separate. there's definitely so,
0: there could definitely could be a discussion that he did not do well enough, and it might not do well enough this year to okay. retain his job based off of the. Expectations perennially of Arizona I
2: don't. State. I don't think that there's th- the reason why I, I couched it that way is I don't think there's much of a disagreement out there that ASU has some very clear issues that keeps it from being probably a top fifteen type of a team at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and we know like they they've overused their top pitchers. They haven't developed the younger pitchers. Uh, they. Well, the, right, there's 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 lots of problems. They were really hot offensively early on in the season, probably even more than they could have been expected to reasonably maintain, and and you know there's so there's all kinds of things, right? And then also the fact that baseball, by its nature, it tends to be kind of a rhythm sport where you get into, you know, hot streaks and then you have streaks that aren't as good, and they're they're in one of those now. Whether they, whether they. Rebound to what they were in the first half of the season or whether they persist on this sort of a trajectory I think is going to largely impact how the season is perceived. But they still have some of their toughest opponents left on the schedule. Yeah. I
0: think this weekend is going to be a very important weekend to see.
1: Hosting number one UCLA. Yeah, hosting the number one
0: team in the country and just seeing what ASU can do, seeing if they can get out of you know what Tracy Smith calls this funk. I mean, because we've been talking about how many wins we're projecting them to win this year. Uh, based on the remaining games, and you know you can't lose two games to a Washington team, especially when the games are sloppy and kind Go of ahead. the way that ASU sort of likes to play them. I mean, I mean maybe not likes to play them, but kind of the brand of games that ASU's been high, pretty high good at winning. Games, yeah, yeah, high scoring games where ASU has better offense and supposedly has more talent than these teams. USC comes to mind as another weekend when. They came into the weekend at ten and the, seventeen. The whole, took whole, two of
1: three. The whole month of April was kind of like that. Even the series they won at Utah. A couple. Well, they weeks played ago. a very
0: good series against Oregon State, which is they why did. I'm not saying that 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 their month of April was was that bad because they played one of the best teams in college baseball very well. That's true. And they lost. But, they lost two games, but they were very hard fought games. And ASU played composed uh, and disciplined good baseball. But, for those But games. I think
1: here is another example. Like, is the and I think this is the divide you're going to get as the season starts to wind down. ASU is going to exceed its preseason expectations pretty clearly. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it's a successful season. If you get knocked... They got knocked out in the... Part of the reason Tim Esme got fired is because they kept getting knocked out in, in the regionals and opening weekends because they weren't hosting. Part of the reason fans weren't huge Tracy Smith supporters right away is because his first two years, he got knocked out in, in, in the opening weekend regionals when they weren't hosting. So... Yeah, they got out of this this two year skid, but a lot of people will say, well, they shouldn't even they shouldn't have been a twenty three win team in back to back years to begin with, and I think that's why, like this past month to me, when I look at their season, y- you should have been able to win either the USC or the Washington series. You should have been able to maybe even sweep, you know, one of those one series of those or, two, or beating yeah. Utah. It was a missed opportunity for them to really put themselves in a spot where they could host a regional because I think. If they and they still could host a regional, they haven't have a, they yeah. haven't played them, themselves at anything, but they're gonna have to beat some really good teams to do it. Yeah. If they could host a regional, I think fifty fifty, maybe a little bit better. They even win it. If they get to a super regional, I think that would pretty, I think that would be widely considered a successful season. But I would certainly agree with that. You know, I I wonder if if they do kind of sputter out down the stretch and they're knocked out in the opening weekend, like how will that be perceived coming off of? two really bad years, two worst years in ASU baseball's history. Yeah, you start this season good, but it's against a, a an obviously weak schedule and then when you get into Pac-12 play and you start playing tougher teams, you don't succeed. Like is that is that really a tangible step forward for a program that people are still wondering if Tracy Smith can get them to the next level? Cuz the end game here is always going to be with fans and and it probably should be with administrators. Is always going to be you got to be getting to Omaha at least once every four or five years in competing in Omaha. And they're, this past month, at least in my eyes, showed that they're still a really long way away from that. Now maybe it was just a, a bad month and they come back in May and they start playing really well again and they beat UCLA and they beat Stanford and the discussion changes. But that doesn't seem very likely to me. And I think as the season winds down this is going to be the biggest question. Is this year, if you get knocked down in a regional, is, is that successful or not does that give fans um, more reason to believe in Tracy Smith? Ray Anderson said he had big expectations for twenty nineteen. Is just getting to a regional and getting knocked out. Does that meet those expectations? I think those are the questions we're gonna have to start asking. Unless they can turn turn this thing around in the last month.
2: I think you're zeroing in on it right there. If you walk down expectations enough, you can say, "Yeah, we 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 did enough that." Uh, the season was a success. The problem is that Tim Esme played in the postseason all five of his years at ASU. And went to the College World Series his first year. And lost his job, right? And
0: Wasn't there also recruiting things? And They, they and had sanctions. Tim he, he came in
1: after Pat Murphy but, and had to – Can but I just finish my point, though? Outside the argument.
2: The, 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 the point is, is that what Tracy Smith has said repeatedly is – even last year in year four, we were super young. Okay. Well, ASU baseball still has the ability to recruit at a pretty high level. Mm, you're seeing to, that by this year. Okay. And, okay. You're seeing it, but you're, if you see it lead to a loss in a regional, hypothetically, right? That only works if you accept that expectations have been lowered. And you and you and you uh, and you acquiesce to
1: that new reality. To be like UCLA basketball fans, being like, "It's cool if we go out in the round of thirty-two every year."
2: Correct. So, so what I'm saying is, I think you have to assess at the same time what is the next year going to be like under Tracy Smith, and the year after that, and the year after that. Because I'm still believe I, I'm gonna. I'm, I still believe that at the end of the day, you have to judge every coach by what. The next several years are likely to be rather than just what they've already done because you people do learn and make mistakes and grow and develop and all those kinds of things. But I think there's legitimate questions about Tracy Smith's deployment of personnel, the way that he's managed, you know, pitching staffs. You know, some of the questions about where guys have been on the field and his, his roster shifting and moving and, and you know, there's just there's, there's questions, right? And they had a very easy schedule this year, which I think also has to be factored in, in the front end and the way that they loaded it up. So the question, I think, at this point, beyond just how they finish, right, which that matters, but... Is the program still going to be able to build off of this for next year, the year after, the year after that in a way that's going to allow ASU fans who understand the historical prominence of the program to feel like things are in pretty good hands?
1: And I think last month was an example that maybe for as close as this team seemed like it was getting there. Last month kind of put a tamper on that a little bit after their their hot start to the season. But Rob, I mean, what are you what do you think? Because it seems like you're a little more on the you're worked up a little, a little bit little about more, this. Like, I just want to talk. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I
0: I think that it's important to measure this a little bit based off last year's historical perspective is certainly important. The previous coach and Tim Esme making it to five postseasons in a row is certainly important. ASU is going to have big losses next year, most likely losing Hunter Bishop. Spencer Torkelson and Alec Marsh, at the very least, not including other guys that they could potentially not, lose. Not Torkelson. Torkelson's a Excuse me. Excuse, I thought his birthday, though, was... is No. no. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, Hunter Bishop and, and Alec Marsh, which will be uh, big losses if that actually happens. Um, I think that ASU baseball is in a better spot than it was last year, for sure, going forward and going into the next couple That's years. That's true. Um, but I don't know. I, I would think next year... I, I think this year ASU is going to win... I I think they could still host a regional, or yeah, I think they could still host a regional, and I think they might lose in that regional, or they could, you know, travel and lose in the regional. I think that Tracy Smith and the team has done well enough that he's going to keep his job this year. I think that next year, next year, in my opinion, is the year that I'm really looking at. But this is the this is the thing though. We know that if they finish as a top 25 team this year, I don't think that he should be fired. I no, think, no, no. It,
1: and I don't think that's the discussion, but it's is this year giving him more leash for the future? Yeah, is I think so. He, uh, I, don't I know. think, I think, think it, this year he's done why? On, Am I because a pin- this year on paper,
0: they're the number 22 team in the nation here, and they're a team that's anth, won 30 games anth, so far. Anth?
1: Here, here's my question. Yeah, they this... played a worse schedule, but
0: ASU also baseball historically, good...
1: historically, that's
2: nothing. No, I know. It's a, it's nothing.
0: I I I haven't
1: been around this program for 30.
0: years. But that's years, what so matters.
2: It doesn't matter how long you've been around the program. What matters is the history of the program. Here, okay, I
0: don't think that I don't. Do think... do you disagree with that though? Yeah, I do. I think yeah. it, I think I disagree with that because I don't think with evaluating the one person you're evaluating evaluating right now, you can base it off of everything that ASU has done. In its career, in his in, in in the totality
2: of ASU baseball. Does it do you think that ASU baseball has the ability to recruit at a top ten to fifteen level? Yeah. So then so then I what do. so then what is the impediment to I don't ma- think there is hold a- on, let me just ask finish asking the question because you you got what is the impediment if you're Tracy Smith, okay, to hosting a super regional once out of every five years?
0: I think he would be winning this. They haven't. Can I talk? Yeah. I think he would be saying that that this is the year that is showing what they can do. And then, I don't know. And then, all right, you disagree but with I that. Think, I know you disagree with it. I think this no, – no, no, Let me finish my statement. This year I think is the year that he would be saying, look, this is what we were able to do. Next year evaluate me and tell me if, I, if, if 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 you don't think I do well enough. If you want to fire me, go ahead. I think this is the year that look and see what I can do. I didn't have a great roster. I had very – uh, major flaws in my roster, and and that's also on him definitely for constructing the roster, but also on on previous things that have happened that were out of his control a little bit, like some of the players that have left the program that have been bad seeds. And Chris, I'm loving that you're so excited. What is well? This th- I think this is
2: a, I think this is an important conversation. I yeah. think this is a good dialogue actually. So, you, I sense you being frustrated, but this is like something that's actually really good, mm-hmm. I think, and it's productive to have this kind of a talk. So, so, so let me just, I have a couple of questions mm, for you. Okay. Um, you know, A, I just want to state that I certainly agree that it's Tracy Smith doing whatever the roster is at, in the fifth year of the program, right? You said earlier that by losing two or their three or four best players, right and their best their ace on a staff that's kind of average at best and, and Hunter Bishop they're who's one of the best players in college baseball right they're probably not going to be better next year I would, ag- you? I would agree with that
0: I think their pitching
2: could be better next year they're probably and not going to overall be, be much better next year I would agree with you so nice. that means maybe they're a little better but but what I'm saying is then, then it's year six and maybe you didn't host a super regional right And Ray Anderson said, I'm evaluating this year as a key year of ASU baseball. To me, when an athletic director at ASU says, I'm evaluating this year as a key year of ASU baseball, going to a regional somewhere else and losing in that regional isn't good enough. You know what it kind of feels like? Do you you disagree that Ray Anderson, who obviously has people in his ear about ASU's capability, history, prominence, the fact that you fired a coach who made the five years in a row and was considered the worst performance of ASU in recent decades all of that is the reality of the situation do you think that given that 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 there isn't pressure to say we haven't done good enough when next year probably won't be significantly better
0: I think there's definitely a question that could happen. I don't think Ray Anderson's going to do that. I think that he and Tracy Smith have a very close relationship, for one. I think that Tracy Smith – I mean, not I think. Tracy Smith was the first person Ray Anderson ever hired at Arizona State. I think that matters. I think he wants him to work out very much. Um, I'm very curious what's going to happen because it's an interesting dilemma if you finish – I mean, if you finish with, like, let's say 37 wins. Let's be conservative on both sides. 37 wins, uh, they'd end up with about 20 – about 20 losses in that situation,
1: and yeah, 37 and 18.
0: Yeah, it'd be something like 37 and 18, and they they go to a regional, but they don't win or they don't they don't make it out of that weekend. They don't, or even if they host and they lose in the first weekend, I'd be curious to see. I'd be pretty shocked if he
1: fired him there. And, and I don't think that's what we're. I don't think that's the question. Here's mm-hmm. my question: If they get knocked out of a regional this year, is Tracy Smith still on the quote unquote hot seat? Oh yeah. Okay, and yeah. so and that's what. So I would not consider a season where a coach ends, where a coach ends the season on the hot seat. I don't know if that's a of a if that's a successful season. That to me seems like a year where.
0: Well, I think part of why he's exceed- on the hot seat is because of the expectations. Yes, and but, I, but if I, I think if you too- go further than the relative expectations of the of the season, and maybe don't reach the expectations of the program. I mean, I don't know. I believe in incremental, like. But how you need to get better playing a little bit before you get better a lot. And I don't think that it's possible to go from where AC Baseball is right now. I mean, this is my thing. Like, say Ray Anderson does just decide to fire him, they they go to a regional, they don't win it. Um, They decide to fire him, they go in a different direction. Your next coach won't be able to make next year more of a success, I don't think, based off of what's already going on. Maybe two or three years down the line, you are.
2: Um, I guess that's the question. Can I just. I think we all would agree that Pat Murphy wasn't that long ago in ASU baseball, right? Nope. He he was nope. the coach through 2009. In his last 13 seasons in a row, ASU never lost, never won fewer than 37 games. So my my thing is is I don't think that it's far-fetched to think that's kind of a reasonable benchmark yeah. that 37 wins is very average. It's average. It's not good for ASU baseball when Pat Murphy, 13 years in a row, had ASU baseball winning 40 games, 41 games, 50 games here and there, 44 games, 49. His last three years, 49, 49, and 51, 2007, 8, and 9. Now, I'm not saying that that should be the expectation because I don't think that it's reasonable. But, yeah, but, but ASU fans are saying, wait, 10 years later, and we consider 37 wins in your fifth season when you don't host a regional, to be that's good enough to keep you around, that's a thing that's going to lead to a lot of Screw arguments. Yeah. And that's why us talking about it here in the way that we are, I think, is important.
0: And and I'm very curious to see what's going to happen then, just because that's where they're going to end up about, I think. I, I still think they might get a few more than 37. Even if they win 40. I think 40. they're going to end up as a top 25 team. In the nation when it's all said and done, but I think the Jack's right in the fact that there's a very real possibility They travel to a regional they don't win it or maybe they make it to the super regional and it's not It's not a crazy success if it is a success for ASU baseball
1: and and I think the the, Tying back to my original point here. This is why this last month to me was was pretty revealing because it just That was a chance to really solidify what ASU did early in the season to solidify their chance to put themselves in a good position to make a postseason run and to, I think, really tangibly show that the team has taken a, a major step back into the realm where I think ASU fans and, and the historical expectations and performance levels will be. And the fact that now, barring, again, a really good month against a really tough schedule, it seems like, it seems like this team's still going to finish on the lower end of what you'd consider normal expectations. And again, and that's why I asked. Does that make this season successful? In a lot of people's eyes, it's going to be no, and it's, and it's not going to change their opinions on how good Tracy Smith is as a coach. Should he be the guy to lead them long term? That's why this last month, to me, was so important, because they had a chance to really kind of take that step, but they missed it.
2: I just would you know, put a button on this by saying the minimum acceptable thing for ASU baseball is making the postseason. It's not – if you don't do that – in your fifth year, that alone should probably lead to you not having a job anymore, in my opinion. Right. That, so so, so, getting getting to the postseason is a minimum expectation. I wouldn't consider it a good result for ASU baseball, although relative to this particular team, maybe it is achieving about what would be expected.
0: And I think Chris knows best what ASU fans are, are thinking about this and, and and what the state of, of Arizona State has been for, you know, a long time. So I think it's important your perspective of what you think is positive and what you think is, is being done well and, and what really isn't. Because, frankly, for myself, with how I view this, I view incremental improvement as pretty important for a team that's been the worst. It's been – playing girls' right, advocates but but You're looking people. at it from yeah, the worst
2: at- that they've been – under the, history, under the under yeah. the coach who you're saying yeah. incremental pro- progress I, I is good I
0: think I think I think going from one of the worst years in the history of the program to a year in which they finish But who's top responsible for that? He's yeah, partly no, responsible that. for oh, that. Oh, I, I get that. I'm not taking that away from him. I it, That's it, all. Yeah. I it'll be interesting to see what it, shakes if, out. It, if
2: if if he does come back and then they don't and they, you know, are similar next year.
0: Yeah, I think he would get fired if, if, if I'm really interested, in it, I wouldn't fire him after this year, but if
2: the same thing happened next year,
0: and then I I'd probably fire him. I think
1: that's a possibility unless yeah I don't really think there's a
0: chance yeah. I don't think there's a chance right now that you're Ray Anderson fires you're
2: gonna have to start playing in super regionals once every six or seven years at ASU baseball that's all
0: oh, I definitely agree more often that. than that probably yeah and like exactly. Jack said it's not gonna get easy for this ASU baseball team taking on number one the number one team in the nation in UCLA this weekend at home and then it's, it's gonna a, be
1: it's a tough month
0: like, and then you got you're gonna have Cal later on at but, Cal yeah. and, and a pretty good Pac-12
2: team and then and Marsh, the has, Marsh has been bulletproof until recently mm-hmm. and so now if he starts having issues against some of these better teams on Fridays with what's happened to your roster yeah. and the way you've used your bullpen you that could actually because, get worse right, potentially yeah. and, and
1: right. they have, like they have 13 games left they probably need to win what five or six to to be sure in the in in the postseason definitely okay. Well, I wouldn't say three and 10 is outside the realm of possibility. What about hosting? I would say three and 10. Oh, they have to win 10 games. Probably that's not going to happen. Yeah. Probably not. Okay.
0: That's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For staff reporters Mason Kern and Jack Harris, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Rob
2: Werner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.